You are listening to the replay of Cowboy State Politics live from October 13th. And there's intimacy on the radio, and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics live, and here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming. This is the most listened to podcast in the state of Wyoming, and it's broadcasting to you at about, I don't know, 4,800 feet. Good morning, my friends. We begin this morning with Sleepy Joe. Where else did you think we'd get started? From Breitbart, consumer prices surge higher than expected, up 8.2%. As if I had to tell you that, I'm sure you've been to the grocery store lately. Quote, prices paid by U.S. households surged higher in September as a wide range of goods and services became more expensive. No kidding. Prices rose 8.2% compared with a year earlier. Now, I'm sure that you've watched the news recently, and they're probably telling you, well, inflation is the same as it was last month. Well, that's not how it's measured. It's measured year over year. So when the inflation number is 8.2%, that means it's 8.2% higher than it was last October. The article continues, compared with last August, prices were up 0.4%, the Department of Labor's Bureau of Labor Statistics said. Core CPI, and get this, it strips out volatile food and energy prices. Imagine that. The two most expensive things that we buy aren't even counted with inflation. But anyway, that rose 6.6% compared with a year ago. That is the highest rate of core inflation since 1982, surpassing the recent 6.4% highs hit in February and March. For the month, core prices were up 0.6%. My friends, there's no other conclusion than this is all on purpose. Nobody can make this many mistakes in a row without at least at random getting one right. Studies have shown that if you put a, put a standardized test in front, of, in front of a monkey and he just picks random choices, 
he's going to get at least 40 to 50% of them correct. So just by chance, the administration should have gotten something right. Economists had expected the index to be up 0.2% on a monthly basis and 8.1% compared with a year ago. Core CPI was forecast as rising 0.4% month to month and 6.5% compared to a year ago. The monthly figures show inflation is accelerating after falling to zero in July. Now, remember, inflation is measured measured year over year. So there's no way that there was 0% inflation in July. The headline consumer price index has risen for two straight months. In August, it was rising at a 0.12% rate. Core prices were up 0.31% in July and 0.56% in August. Now, that's on the national front, and of course, it affects all of us. Inflation always does. But it also, our actions here in the state of Wyoming also affect it. You have a number of candidates running statewide that are all part of this business development boondoggle. Three of them that come to mind is Bruce Jones in Converse County. He's running against the Republican nominee, Tommy Strzok. Well, and then there's Dan Brecht, who's running against Jeremy Haroldson and Todd Peterson, BFF with red coat Shelly Duncan. Yeah, you remember her. Mm, love her. Well, anyway, all of them are running as independents in the general election, and all of them are part of this big business development boondoggle. Now, let me explain what I mean. It is impossible for government to create business. It never has. It never will. And it is, like I said, it's absolutely impossible. Let me explain what I mean. We all hear politicians say that they've created X number of jobs. And all of those are government jobs. That's the only way that that politicians can actually create jobs. So let's say you, for instance, get hired at the Wyoming Department of Transportation. Works out great for you. You got a good wage and excellent benefits. And all of it is paid with or paid for by tax dollars. So when you take your paycheck and you go to the grocery store and you buy your groceries for the month at 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 prices that are 8.4% or 8.2% higher than they were last year, you're using tax dollars to pay for it. So while it's good for you, the guy that got the job, it doesn't generate any economic input because or increase because what you're doing is recycling tax dollars. So all of these counties across the state that are passing sale or have sales tax measures on the ballot to go to, quote, business development, well, none of it does, and none of it will create any sort of economic increase. I've told you guys before that the classic example is in Buffalo, Wyoming. I call it the road to nowhere. You see, officials in Buffalo, Wyoming decided they were going to build this business park, and then these giant businesses would move to town, and they would generate all sorts of jobs, and it would be fantastic. So we spent a tremendous amount of tax dollars. Now, politicians in Buffalo will tell you, oh, that thing didn't cost us a dime because it was all matching funds. Guess where those matching funds came from? The state of Wyoming. So to date, and that thing was completed like, I don't know, three or four years ago. To date, not a single business has moved in there. And for a while, they had the entrance to it blocked off so the kids wouldn't go ride their skateboards. 
So the thing hasn't produced anything. Well, actually, I'm wrong about that because they had to cut the grass on the road to nowhere. So they hired a guy to cut the hay. So really, the road to nowhere did produce a couple bales of hay, but nowhere near the economic development that they were promising everybody. So all of this economic development money that we spend in the state of Wyoming contributes to inflation. When the state of Wyoming received all of the ARPA funds and all of the CARES funds, they simply could have turned it back to the feds and said, we don't want your money because we know it will contribute to inflation. But instead, those jokers down in Cheyenne spent every last red cent of it and thus contributed to all of these high prices we're seeing in energy and food. Moving on, President Biden uttered yet another gaffe the other day. From the blaze, President Biden inaccurately claims that his son lost his life in Iraq. Quote, President Joe Biden inaccurately said during remarks in Colorado on Wednesday that he had a son who died in Iraq. Well, his only son that has died is Bo Biden, and he died of brain cancer. Biden appeared to be referring to his late son, Bo Biden, when he described himself as the father of a man who won a bronze star and the conspicuous service medal and lost his life in Iraq. Well, you know, on second thought, let's just let him say it. Just imagine, I mean it sincerely, I say this as a father of a man who won the Broad Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. Wow. Now, that's a pretty significant event in the life of the president, and a sad one at that. But you would think that he would remember exactly how his son lost his life. But what, as what commonly happens with people who get dementia or uh, Alzheimer's, they, only, they forget certain details. So, obviously, the president understands that his son died, and he understands that his son was in Iraq, and he's leaving out the little detail of how his son died. Now, I know that I make fun of President Biden a lot, and there's plenty of material there. But it's really a sad situation and a sad commentary on the state of our nation, where we have a president who's really an empty suit, who doesn't even know that today is Thursday, and yet he's got the nuclear codes. A scary situation, no doubt. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about an executive order, a recent executive order that was signed on September 12th by the Biden administration. Now, this one is really goofy, and I don't exactly have my fingers on all of it, but it's entitled Executive Order on Advancing Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Innovation for a Sustainable, Safe, and Secure American Bioeconomy. And it says, and I quote, Section 1. It is the policy of my administration to coordinate a whole-of-government approach to advance biotechnology and biomanufacturing towards innovative solutions in health, climate change, energy, food security, agriculture, supply chain resilience, and national economic security. Uh, basically, everything that the president's administration ought to be doing, but apparently we're going to do it through biomanufacturing. Here's where the thing gets creepy. Quote, we need to develop genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictably pr program biology in the same way in which we write software and program computers. Unlock the power of biological data, including comp through computing tools and artificial intelligence, and, the adva and advance the science of scale-up production while reducing it. 
This is profoundly dangerous, my friends, and until very recently, it was only the work of science fiction writers to say that we could augment human beings, because that's essentially what we're talking about. It's called transhumanism. It's been a theory on the, on the fringes of science, and I don't even know if the, you can call it science, but, but experimenting with improving the human being genetically. I know. It's, it's total crazy stuff, and I, I have no idea why the president is uh, signing an executive order on it. But it brings up a new interesting point. The question is, what are they doing? Well, of course, we're, we're seeing increases in um, artificial intelligence. You see it all over the place in factories. And um, I saw on the news the other day where there was uh, deep fakes that were being produced that you couldn't tell. A deep fake, by the way, is a video or a soundbite that is artificially produced, but is indistinguishable, virtually indistinguishable from, the, from a real person. For example, Bruce Willis just sold the rights to his face to be used in an advertisement that was produced completely artificially okay so if you watch the advertisement and if you watch a lot of bruce willis movies you can notice some blips in it but if you didn't know you would assume that that was bruce willis so those are all of those things are produced with artificial intelligence and now we're talking about using artificial intelligence to monkey around with the human genome my friends the human body is not a machine you can't just change a gear and expect it to operate differently there's going to be unforeseen consequences of what you are doing. It's a profoundly dangerous idea. And so when I saw this article from a life site entitled Gates Foundation gives $200 million to help establish global, global digital ID system of surveillance, I wondered, well, I wonder if this has anything to do with that executive order that the president signed uh, back, back last month. From Friday, October 7th, quote, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation recently pledged $1.27 billion towards the United Nations openly pro-abortion 2030 agenda goals. Now, Agenda 2030, that used to be Agenda 21. And of course, they didn't get it accomplished by 2020. So now they've, they've extended the deadline a little bit. With $200 million going directly to aid in the creation of an invasive global digital ID system. According to a September 21 press release, okay, so that's a little bit after the president signed that executive order, published on the Gates Foundation's website, the $200 million package will be used to create an infrastructure that encompasses tools such as interoperable payment systems, digital ID, data sharing systems, and civil registry databases. If that doesn't send a chill down your spine, I don't know what will. But anyway, this whole thing purports to make countries more resilient to crises such as food shortages, public health threats, and climate change, as well as to aid in pandemic and economic recovery. Now, Bill Gates has, for a long time, has been trying to figure out a way where he can introduce a chip of sorts to where you would implant it in your body, and that's how you would pay for stuff. I know, Borg implants and everything. The article continues. The 2030 Agenda was adopted by the UN in 2015 
and establishes a set of goals, a set of 17 goals that are rooted in Marxist theory. These goals set to be achieved by 2030 aim to control the population through abortion and contraception, which, by the way, that's what Planned Parenthood is all about. It's all about eugenics. At least that's how it started. Reduce fossil fuel consumption, supposedly for the sake of the climate, and to instigate a global ID system in which people's every move will be tracked and monitored. It's not enough that all of us carry around that silly little cell phone and it knows exactly what we're doing at any given time. I mean, have you ever been talking with someone and uh, pulled up Facebook randomly and noticed what you were talking about appears in an ad on Facebook? I have. Kind of creepy that your devices are listening to you. But the more important thing is they're tracking everywhere you go. Um, one of the things that's being used more commonly in campaigns right now is called geofencing. And what you do is you buy some ads from like Google or some other place like that, and you define an area in which you want that ad to appear, geofencing. And so anytime a cell phone enters that area, then the it is going to show that ad to the user. And then when you exit that area, well, then you're not going to see the ad anymore. Actually, it's kind of brilliant. And if you're a political political guy or you're running for office, it's kind of a kind of an ingenious strategy. I mean, just about every cell phone is going to see your ad in a given area. But this can also be used to track us as if we're not being tracked enough. Michael Rechtenwald, author of a book called Google Archipelago, The Digital Gulag and the Simulation of Freedom. I know this is way out there <laughs> with the defender that. Uh, quote, of all other means, the identifying and tracking subjects, digital identity poses perhaps the gravest te technological threat to individual liberty yet conceived. Rechtenwald went on to say that digital ID has the potential to trace, track, surveil subjects and to compile a complete record of all activity from cradle to grave. Now, this is not something that's new. With the Patriot Act, or maybe it was an act right after it, this thing called Real ID was established. I'm sure many of, many of the Cowboy State Politics listeners are familiar with what Real ID is. And that's in Wyoming. You go to the drivers, the DMV, to get your driver's license, and they ask you for all sorts of identification. And the, ID, and, the, and the whole idea of the ID was so that you can more easily identify the person bearing the ID. It's really terrifying stuff. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get on with the program. Right on, right on. You can find... Everything Cowboy State Politics at the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden and you have no idea what kind of pudding you had for breakfast, well, I'm not sure I can help you with that one, but I can pretty much guarantee you you can find all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't be president. So, Go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself, just like you should have been doing before you signed that paper to run for election. Don't forget about the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. Like it, share it, follow it, tell everybody you know about it. Of course, 
I'll post all of the episodes there, but also anything I find during the course of the week that I think you might be interested in. And if you'd like to interact with me on any other social media app, I'm on Twitter. The handle is at David Dom Iverson. You can also find me on Truth Social or Getter or Gab or MeWe, and I'll probably sign up for whatever else comes next. If you've been thinking about advertising on the program, whether it be the live broadcast or on the main podcast, and you want to put your money where my mouth is, all you need to do is shoot me a message. The address is david at cowboystatepolitics.com. I'd love to get that conversation started with you. And now, let's get back to the program. One of the things that the le- legislators in the state of Wyoming have been dealing with for some time is something called a bias-motivated crime bill. If you want to look it up from 2021, it was House Bill 218. To make, to make a long story short, basically it's a hate crime bill. Well, it's back with a vengeance, but this time it's with individual cities. From the Red Star... An article entitled Casper City Council to Move Forward with Anti-Discrimination Ordinance. Quote, the Casper City Council will move forward with an ordinance targeting discrimination and biased motivated crimes. Hmm. The ordinance, which was advanced by the city council at its Tuesday work session, was recommended by the city's LGBTQ advisory committee last year. LGBTQ people and other minority groups live in fear of discrimination at school, in the workplace, and out in the community, the committee members, uh, the committee told council members, quote, I know people who've left Casper because they don't feel safe, said Daryl Wagner, who chairs the committee. The proposal would enhance the punishment for assault, battery, and injuring, defacing, or destroying property. Now, wait a minute. Aren't those already crimes? Seems to me that assault is a crime, battery is a crime, and uh, mm, you know vandalism is a crime. Anyway, that are motivated by hate or prejudice towards another person's race, color, religion, interest, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, or national origin or disability. So all of these things are already crimes. It is already a crime to discriminate against anybody based on any of those things. All of them are crimes. What this is an attempt to do is divine the intent behind the crime. So in other words, what it is that the person is thinking while they're committing the crime. This is an attempt to penalize thought. Now, I'm, I know it sounds like I'm going all 1984 on you, but really, how could you describe it any other way? Now, to understand the genesis of this whole ordinance, that this dumb ordinance that the Casper City Council is considering, we need to go back and consider what happened with the Bias Motivated Crime Bill, House Bill 218, in 2021. Now, in that Judiciary Committee hearing for the House, there was an outburst that was created by University of Wyoming students. Um, it's, it's pretty horrendous. Now, Last year, I did an episode entitled In Defense of Truth. It was a great episode. In fact, uh, you should go back and listen to the whole thing. But on it, I interviewed Glenn Woods from Wake Up Wyoming, Dr. Taylor Haynes, and Representative Chip Nyman. And we were all discussing the soundbite that I'm about to play for you. 
So let me just play it, and then we'll talk about it. Proponents of these types of laws point out cases of discrimination which are already against the law, and it, they end up going to a very, very dark place, which, by definition, they create discrimination in the law itself. It starts at the one hour, 43 minute mark. While this is testimony in favor of House Bill 218, if you listen to it, you can clearly he hear the bias that that law would create inside Wyoming law. Since there aren't any anti-hate crime laws, they are very limited. Wyoming is one of three states that has no anti-hate crime laws. You would think a lynching that happened in this state would be the reason that an anti-hate crime bill was passed, but no, this state has a history of racism and hate crime. Do you want the state to be always, to always be remembered by those same events that took place? It is 2021. It is time we change the state. How many times do we have to sit here and wait for you to do something to protect us legislation-wise? You always push it away because you are biased by being mostly white and not accepting the fact that these laws weren't meant for you to ever ignore. We are tired of being ignored and pushed out because it doesn't fit your agenda. You are elected by the people to serve the people. We are the people. Why do you people of color have to depend on white people to be protected? Why do we have to face our oppressors to be protected? Why do we have to beg to be protected? At this point, we might as well start calling all of y'all masses. Whoa! Talk about racism. Well, that happened in the Wyoming State Capitol building during a House Judiciary Committee hearing. But it exposes exactly what biased motivated crimes are going to do. Is that it, you know, that I already read you the list of the different groups of people that it's going to protect. Did you notice the one that wasn't mentioned? Yeah, this one's going to be unpopular, but white guys. White people are not mentioned in that. You see, we can have racism and discrimination against every other group, except if you happen to be white. Now, you clearly heard that University of Wyoming student calling the committee members racist because they happen to be a bunch of white people. Now, interestingly enough, members of the Joint Judiciary Committee actually actually are not all white. So, you know, it's it, it's really juvenile. And it's, I mean, it's really superficial at the outset. But the whole point here is to entrench racism in Wyoming law. And it's a really dangerous concept. And what this Casper City Ordinance is exactly what this Casper City Ordinance is doing. So let me, t let me play for you what Glenn Woods had to say about this. My first thought was the person that I heard speaking is someone who is used to the idea of stepping into a room and dominating if she talks long enough loud enough is insulting enough acts offended enough then everybody will be afraid to respond and they'll just go ahead and give her whatever she wants and i certainly hope that the people she's talking to knew en enough not to respond in that way but to give her nothing because of the way she talked down to them what i do see in the state of wyoming is why we do have more free speech than any other place around the country and i'm happy to see that we all come across on occasion those times that we wonder, should I say something here? Am I going to offend somebody? Is this the politically correct crowd? And it has happened to me here. I mean, there's been a couple of times when I've talked on the air about being a grammar Nazi. And next thing you know, we're getting phone calls from somebody who is offended because I used the term Nazi, considering who the Nazis were. Right. My answer to that was, well, then can I say funny as hell, considering what hell is? Yeah, and what's nice is this company here, Town Square Media, backs me up. They don't, they, they'll receive a call like that and talk nice to the person, but then they tell me, keep doing what you're doing. But I wonder about other people at other jobs around the state of Wyoming. Do we start seeing now a steady encroachment? And I think we do. 
starting at the University of Wyoming, to name one place, and moving throughout the rest of the state in an attempt to make people afraid to say what's really on their mind. He's exactly right. The whole point here is to squelch dissent, to squelch opinion of anybody that disagrees with you. We can't have an intelligent argument anymore, and we certainly can't challenge people's beliefs. No, that would be too difficult. So instead, what we have to do is stop them from speaking completely. This is a very, very dangerous thing. It goes to the foundations of what our country was built on. One, In my opinion, one of the most important amendments, and they're all important, but the First Amendment is of the utmost importance to me. I mean, it's part of what I do, and it's not just my livelihood that I'm talking about here. But you have to have the, the freedom of thought, the freedom of conscience. You have to be able to decide for yourself what is right and wrong. We have to be able to disagree. It is only through disagreement and debate that we can make the best decisions about whatever it is that we're going to do. But when you start with bias-motivated hate crime legislation, you're, you're squelching debate from the very outset. We end up being a society of outrage if we aren't already. But what this ordinance does, and the one that was passed not that long ago in Cheyenne, is it entrenches it in Wyoming law. And it's profoundly dangerous. To the cow pie! Now, perhaps you've heard of this stupid Sierra Club report about climate change. Yeah, they're, see, they're accusing Wyoming of contributing to climate change. And really what's happened is whatever smog exists in Denver has wafted, wafted over the border, and Wyoming is being accused of owning it. From an article on October 11th entitled, It's Not Reality, Climate Change Watchdog Says Sierra Club Report Card for Wyoming is Bogus. Well, of course it's bogus. First of all, climate change really, I mean, of course the climate is changing, but it doesn't have anything to do with what a humans do to it. You know, there was that old George Carlin skit where he was saying that the humans have only been around for a couple thousand years, and I think the world is going to do just fine. In fact, when the world gets tired of us, it'll just shrug us off and we'll be done with it. I mean, it's funny, and perhaps I'll play it for you next time on the program. But his point is that what human beings contribute to the atmosphere is no comparison to what a single volcano lets off. And yet all of these groups are trying to enact climate change for the sake of, you know, furthering their agenda. Now, there's been a piece that I've been trying that I've been wanting to play for you for quite some time, and I keep forgetting. But I remembered this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. I need to enact a cough button on the program. Uh, but remember what I always tell you, consider the source. Well, this one is from Russia Today. And the host of this program, he's trying to get this scientist to agree that climate change exists. The whole thing is hilarious. Let me play it for you. Russia's deadly wildfires, the smog-filled cities and poor harvest are being seen by some environmentalists as signs of climate change. Let's now cross live to London to discuss this with Piers Corbyn. He's an astrophysicist Hello. and also founder of Weather Action. Uh, good to have you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us live there in London. So what we are seeing here is a drastic change in climate, aren't we? Well, climate has always been changing, uh, but this is nothing to do with man. In fact, we predicted that there would be extreme heat in uh, East Europe and Russia this uh, summer. And uh, it's caused by a certain circulation pattern. CO2 does not cause circulation patterns. What causes those is a combination of solar activity 
and uh, the state of the, the phases of the moon. Hang on, Piers, uh, wait, wait, fact, excuse me, just a minute. You say this isn't caused by man. How come they're reporting this heat wave is recognized as the worst in a thousand years of recorded history in well, Russia? Well, and surely well, of course. man has got something to do with this, hasn't he? No. Nothing to do with it. The only, the only no, connection is no, man is here at the same time as the sun and the moon are doing things. Um, you see, a very similar situation happened about 132 years ago, where there was the same sun, earth, lunar, magnetic states. Um, there was uh, heat waves in Russia, and there were also floods in Pakistan as now. And in the previous few years, there was also uh, floods in the English summers, uh, also 132 years ago. So these things are dictated by solar activity in the moon. They're nothing to do with mankind and those who say that are just trying to make money. Out but, of but, but, but are we not going to see this? Like. Are we not going to see this again next year, the year on? I mean, it's only well, it's quite recent. That that's are, a very interesting question. These things do come in bursts and we're working on that very question, those forecasts. We did say there would be a series of wet summers in England, for example, uh, which we've had. Now, will there be a series of these very hot hot summers in, in Russia, we don't know. We have to work on that. But I assure you, it's nothing to do with carbon dioxide. And if you stop stop driving around Moscow, it won't affect next summer one job. Well, how come then so many climate change scientists uh, disagree with you <laughs> and they get so much support well, for what the, they say? They're on a gravy train, for heaven's sake. They're made oh, that is the point right there. They're on a gravy train. This whole thing is about money. Now, to prove this, we have to look at the long history of what's been happening. You see, climate change is just the most recent vehicle that they're using to radically alter the United States of America and the world. It's not a new plan. It's not one that even that even went, goes back 50 years. It has nothing to do, well, now it does, but it didn't start with the United Nations. It started well before. And to figure it out, we have to look in these things called books. I figured we'd be spending some time together, so I moved in. I hope I'm not crowding you. What's the matter? Don't you like books? Oh, I like them fine, but a computer takes less space. <laughs> a computer, huh? I got one of these in my office. Contains all the precedents. A synthesis of all the great legal decisions written throughout time. Yeah. I never use it. Why not? I've got my own system. Books, young man. Books, thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library. Books, young man. Thousands of them. Well, that's what you have to read to understand what's going on in our world. So let me just read something to you. And you tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Quote, in war and peace, boom and depression, the march towards centralized collective controls has continued. Planning has often been identified with socialism, yet orthodox socialists themselves are far from pleased with the collectivism practiced in Russia, Germany, Italy, Japan, and Spain. We're moving towards something called System X. To do that, we have to have free enterprise in System X, and here are the goals. A strong, centralized government an executive arm growing at the expense of the legislative and judicial arms. In some countries, power is consolidated in a dictator, issuing decrees. The control of banking, credit, and security exchanges by the government. The underwriting of employment by the government, either, either through armaments or through public works. 
the underwriting of Social Security by the government, old age pensions, mothers' pensions, unemployment insurance, and the like, the underwriting of food, housing, and medical care by the government. The United States is already experimenting uh, with these essentials. The use of the deficit spending technique to finance these underwritings. The annually balanced budget has lost its old-time sanctity. The abandonment of gold in favor of managed currencies. The control of foreign trade by the government with increasing emphasis on bilateral agreements and barter deals. The control of natural resources with increasing emphasis on self-sufficiency. The control of energy resources, hydroelectric power, coal, petroleum, natural gas. The control of transportation, railway, highway, airway, and waterway. The control of agricultural production. The control of labor organizations. The enlistment of young men and women in youth corps. Heavy taxation with special emphasis on estates and incomes of the rate of the rich any of that sound familiar well it ought to and after the break i'll begin explaining where it comes from cowboy state politics is brought to you by morton buildings if you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or a giant roping arena or a huge warehouse to put your business in, then you should give my friends Nick and Jesse a call. 307-674-2532. These guys are the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So it doesn't really matter what type of metal structure you've got in mind. Give Nick and Jesse a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. If you're going to be around Torrington tomorrow, that's Friday the 14th, you should stop by a rally with featuring Harriet Hageman and me. The rally is for the Republican nominee for the Wyoming State House of Representatives, Scott Smith. He's a solid conservative, and he's got a red coat running against him as an independent. The guy's name is Todd Peterson. He claims to be a conservative, but he's buddies with red coat Shelley Duncan, and he has yet to respond to an invite from this program. So if you happen to be around Torrington tomorrow, everything's going to kick off at 6.30, and I'm sure that you can find out where the venue is. And now, back to the program. So who do you think that all of that stuff I read to you wrote it? I mean, who do you think wrote it? Where does it come from? Well, all of the things that he mentions, whomever he may be, seem to be very familiar with what's happening right now. But it's not something that's new. In fact, it comes from a 1941 book by Stuart Chase entitled The Road We Are Traveling, A Report to the 20th Century Fund. Now, Stuart Chase, he was a friend of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In fact, it was Chase that came up with the term the New Deal. Now, his reference to System X, that's important because he didn't really know what it was that we were moving to, moving towards. He knew that it was going to be some sort of socialist uh, 
arrangement, but he didn't know exactly what to call it. He didn't know if it was going to be democratic socialism or or some, some other crazy term. So he called it System X. Now, who then is the 20th Century Fund? Well, that's the oldest progressive think tank in America. It was started by the Fabian Socialists in 1906. Like I said, it's a progressive think tank. And if you Google the 20th Century Fund, they're still in existence today. They're the oldest and one of the most influential progressive think tanks in America. Now, let me read you something else, and I'll we'll play this game again and find out where it's from. The abolition of property in land and the application of all rents of land to public purposes. Two, a heavy progressive and graduated income tax. Three, abolition of rights of inheritance. Four, confiscation of the property of all emigrants and rebels. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital. Hmm, there's that, that term again, capital, and an exclusive monopoly. Six, centralization of the means of communication and transportation in the hands of the state. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. The bringing into cultivation of wastelands, the improvement of the soil or the climate, generally in accordance with the common plan. Equal liability, dare I say, equity of all to labor, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture, combination of agricultural with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country, free education for all children in the public schools. My friends, those are the 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto. Interesting that they bear a striking resemblance to what to what uh, Stuart Chase was talking about. Uh-oh, I'm sensing something here. <coughs> Warning, conspiracy theory approaching. <laughs> okay, that's really dumb. But anyway, you might say that this is a conspiracy theory, but it's not. The progressive agenda you're seeing right now with climate change has its origins far, far back from where we are right now. It's the Communist Manifesto. It's the road we are traveling. It's the New Deal. Now, let me give you let me give you an article from 1962 by Jan Timbergen. Quote, the 20th, 20th century, uh, this one's called The Shaping of the World Economy. The 20th Century Fund wanted a man to write a thoughtful and objective analysis of the problems of international economy. They picked a first-class economist who, being one of the smaller European countries, would have a well-informed but relatively unbiased view of the situation. Professor Tinbergen considers five major assets of the economic situation to be at the heart of our global problems today. One, the underdevelopment of a large part of the world with extremes of poverty. Two, the competition between different economic systems, notably between private enterprise and communism. Three, the passing of colonialism. Four, economic instability, especially in primary commodity markets. Oh, there we go. There's the market again. And number five, national short-sightedness, especially in trade policy. So this one is from the... Uh, from the, the 21st century or the 20th century fund and this one is from 1962 so we started in 1906 the communist manifesto the world world we are traveling and here is 1962 fascinating you see these progressives they never really give up they just continue to move on and on and on with their plans and if you'll notice 
small little defeats never stop them. I mean, that's we. That's one thing we as conservatives are terrible at. You know, we get defeated and we go home. We take our ball and go home. Con- liberals, redcoats, on the other hand, they don't do that. They just continue on. They take the little defeat in stride and they say, we'll get more next time. It's incrementalism. And that's exactly what we're facing. From 2008, from Forbes magazine, entitled Barack Obama, Fabian Socialist. Remember what I mentioned about the 20th Century Fund? Quote, Fabians believed in the gradual nationalization of the economy through manipulation of the democratic process, breaking away from the violent revolutionary socialists of their day. They thought that the only real way to effect fundamental change and social justice was through a mass movement of the working classes presided over by the intellectual and cultural elites. Before TV, it was stage plays written by George Bernard Shaw. By the way, he was a big proponent of Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger and the thousands of inferior realist playwrights dedicated to social change. John Cusack's character in Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway captures the movement as well. That is Barack Obama's world. Now remember, this article was written in 2008, right after he got elected. Quote, He's telling the truth when he says that he doesn't agree with Bill Ayer's violent bombing techniques, but it's a tactical disagreement. Why use dynamite when mass media and community organizing work so much better? Who, knew, who needs Molotov cocktails when you've got Saul Alinsky? So here's the playbook. The left will identify, freeze, personalize, and polarize an industry, probably healthcare. It will attempt to nationalize one-fifth of the United States economy through legislative action. They will focus, as Lenin did, on the commanding heights of the economy, not the little guy. As Obama said, the smallest business will be exempt, but the old system, the bigger businesses, they'll be forced to subsidize the new system. There will be a gradual shift from the former to the latter. The banking system has already partially been nationalized. Bush and Paulson intended for their share purchases to be only non-voting shares, but the law does not specify that. How hard would it be for Obama, the new holder of $700 billion in bank equity, to demand accountability and a voice for taxpayers? It may take the form of wind and solar, on the other hand. We'll have no permitting, no permitting problems at all, if you agree with their agenda and a heavy taxpayer subsidy at their backs. So that was 2008. Now remember, and I wish I had the soundbite on me, but I didn't go and get it, but uh, Barack Obama said, under his system of cap cap and trade, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. So cap and trade is paying for, for carbon. And now here we are in 2022, and we're dealing with this environmental, social, and governance, and refers to the three key factors when measuring the sustainability and ethical impact of an investment in a business or company. Most socially responsible investors check companies out using ESG criteria to screen investments. Okay, hold on there just a second. If you don't think that ESG is already in Wyoming, you're living in a dream world. Corporations, large corporations, do business in Wyoming. Think about all the ones that you use. Verizon, AT&T, Microsoft, Apple, and those are just a few. All of them do business on an ESG scale. Let's go on with the audio just a little bit. 
Environmental, social and governance factors are a subset of non-financial performance indicators. They include ethical, sustainable and corporate government issues such as making sure there are systems in place to ensure accountability and managing the corporation's carbon footprint. The number of investment funds that incorporate ESG factors has been growing rapidly since the beginning of this century. The number is expected to continue rising significantly over the decade to come. Put simply, environmental, social and governance are the three main factors that socially responsible investors measure when deciding whether to invest in a company. Oh, so if you're not if you're a responsible person, you're going to focus on environmental, social and government governance perspectives when you're doing your investing. So if you're a bank, you know, you're not going to give a loan to somebody say like uh, a gun manufacturer or perhaps a coal mine or better yet a an exploratory petroleum company that wants to go drill a well on a lease that they were lucky enough to get from the BLM. You see, all of this is an attempt to control natural resources, which if you remember, those were planks in all of these authors that I mentioned. Stuart Chase, the Communist Manifesto, all of them. If you can make people cold in the winter, you will have absolute control over them. And if that doesn't work, you make people hungry. When people are hungry, they'll do just about anything that you say. I've got one more article for you, and I'll, I'll tell you about it after the break. If you've been paying attention, I'm sure you've noticed that we've got a couple new sponsors to the program. New Trend Hats. It's a Wyoming-based company out of Kemmerer. They have a full line of all kinds of hats for men and women. You know those ponytail hats you've seen running around? Yep, that's New Trend Hats. And right now is the perfect time to check out NewTrendHats.com. They've got a huge selection of winter hats to keep those ears and the top of your head warm. So if you need a new hat and you want to buy something from a company in Wyoming, check out NewTrendHats.com. Our newest sponsor, and they signed on yesterday, is the Bison Wool Company. They make socks and gloves and boots and all sorts of leather products made from the American bison. You'll be hearing their ads at the very beginning of the program. We're going to do that for a while and see how it works, and then we'll be moving their advertisement around the program. So keep your eyes peeled for those two new sponsors. And now, back to the program. California law on the sale of pork raises concerns about interstate moral disputes in a balkanized nation, published yesterday. A case about a California animal welfare law became a springboard on Tuesday for the justices, and I'm talking about the Supreme Court, to explore how individual states might try to impose their moral views on their neighbors. As they considered the constitutionality of California's Proposition 12, that already passed, by the way, the justices wondered aloud how the case would affect hypothetical state efforts to ban products from out-of-state companies that employ unauthorized immigrants or forbid labor unions or refuse to fund uh, certain types of health care. So what we're talking about here is individual states regulating the industry of other states. 
The article continues. Approved by California voters in 2018, Proposition 12 imposes minimum requirements for the confinement of breeding pigs that produce uncooked pork products for sale in the state. Critics argue that the law violates the Constitution by regulating the pork industry out of out of Cal- California. Ah, got tongue-tied. So, this Proposition 12 says that you have to have pigs that are comfortable in order to sell their meat in California. So, I wonder how comfortable is the pig once he's stabbed with a giant knife and sent to the butcher shop? You suppose that's very comfortable? Or does it only matter when the pig is alive? Justice Elena Kagan cautioned, in which states are constantly at each other's throats? Here's the problem. On the one hand, some justices expressed concern that striking down Proposition 12 would lead to the invalidation of a wide range of laws in other states. But on the other hand, several justices worried aloud that allowing Proposition 12 to stand would prompt other states to deploy their own laws to air what Justice Elena Kagan called policy disputes. So in other words, California says to Wyoming, hey, you can't do this with this industry. And Wyoming says, well, fine, you can't do that with your industry. And it ends up being a battle between states. And really, one of the things the Supreme Court is probably trying to avoid is disagreements between states, because when that happens, the Supreme Court is the deciding vote. I mean, they're the the arbiter, arbiter between states. Proposition 12 prohibits the sale in California of pork products um, that were confined in a cruel manner. That means, among other things, that sows must live at least 24 square feet have must, and must have at least 24 square feet of living space. Michael Morgan, the Solicitor General of California, said, quote, This policy can be incorporated into laws like yours. For example, she observed, California could implement laws requiring products to be manufactured using union labor, while Texas could implement a law prohibiting the use of union labor. We live, Justice Kagan said, we live in a divided country in which the balkanization that was a topic of concern for the drafters of the Constitution is surely present. But Justice Brett Kavanaugh pressed Morgan, telling him that his use of the phrase of wholly unrelated products is doing a ton of work. What about, Kavanaugh asked, a law that says you can't sell fruit in our state if it was not harvested by people who have proper documentation, or dare I say, harvested by people who are illegal immigrants? What about that? Is that permissible in state law, Kavanaugh asked? And if not, how is this different from any other law? Well, the point here is that states cannot regulate the commerce of other states. They don't have that right or that ability. It goes back to the founding of the Constitution. States are their own political entities. The way our country is set up is the federal government um, is in charge of the entire country. The states are in charge of the territory in their within their borders. Counties are in charge of the territory within their borders, and so on with cities. So one political entity that is horizontally the same as another political entity cannot regulate them. What I'm saying is the city of Casper can't tell the city of Cheyenne what to do, though I'm sure that they would love to, given given the vast number of redcoats that are in that crazy city. But all of this goes back to a central principle that we all should be paying attention to, and that's one that the United States was founded on, liberty. One of my favorite books of all time is John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. If you haven't read it, you really ought to. It's, it's a quick read. You could probably do it in an evening. 
But let me just read you a couple of passages out of it. The aim, therefore, of patriots is to set limits to the power which a ruler should be suffered to exercise over the community. And this limitation was what they meant by liberty. So liberty, then, is a limitation on power. It's also meant to prevent against, quote, the tyranny of the majority is now generally included amongst the evils against, against which society requires to be on its guard. There needs to be protection also against the, the tyranny of the prevailing opinion and feeling against the tendency of society to impose by other means than civil penalties its own ideas and practices as the rules of conduct on those who dissent from them. You see, this whole pig thing and ESG and everything that we've talked about during this episode relates specifically to that, the will of the majority being pushed on the will of the minority. Quote, there's a limit to the legitimate interference of collective opinion with individual independence. And to find that limit and maintain it against encroachment is as indispensable to a good condition of human affairs as protection against political despotism. Now, what Mill is saying here is that companies that are allowed to dictate to their customers how they ought to live, states that are dictating to other states how their citizens ought to live, are by definition tyrannical. There's no other, there's no other obvious um, solution to it. So Mill had what he called the harms principle, and let me read it to you. That the only purpose for which power can be rightfully exercised over any member of a civilized society against his will is to prevent harm to others. That's called the harms principle. And when Mill talks about harm, he means actual harm. He doesn't mean that you're offended and so you have to be arrested. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, maybe you said something that somebody else didn't like. The whole nature of freedom is that it is dangerous. If we are to have the freedom of expression, which of course the left does not want us to have, it means that the only right that you actually have is the right to be offended. That is, liberty and freedom are inherently dangerous. The cost, for example, the cost of your Second Amendment rights is the possibility that you might be shot in the head that's the cost of freedom. The cost of your First Amendment rights might be that somebody may say something to you that you don't agree with, that you don't like, that maybe it hurts your feelings. But that, my friends, is the cost of freedom. And we can't let that go. All of these, all of these measures we're seeing across the country and in the state of Wyoming, be it bias-motivated crime, discrimination statutes, uh, you name it. We have to absolutely resist them. And the way that we do that is by electing conservatives, electing people that believe in the Constitution, that believe in, in human and individual liberty and rights. Because the people on the left do not. I just gave you a long dissertation of how they've been planning this for well over a hundred years and how their plan is finally coming to fruition. So if you had any illusions about the importance of the upcoming election, this should be a wake-up call to you. Because the left, the reason they've taken all of their masks off, is they know exactly what is at stake. They know that one more election, and they can finally have their way with the Constitution. They can finally disregard it in favor of their own maniacal plan, 
be it from Stuart Chase or from Karl Marx. Either one of them will work for the left. To stop them, we have to vote, we have to advocate for the people that represent our values, and we have to get other people to vote. Because if we don't, we're probably going to lose our country. Thanks for listening to the program. You can listen to Cowboy State Politics live every Thursday morning beginning at 10 a.m. Also, Cowboys new episodes of Cowboy State Politics are posted every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again on Saturday. From the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is Cowboy State Politics.